Hello, hello, everyone. It's nice to see here. Talk to you. Talk to you again. I hope you had a wonderful reading break. I certainly did. I know a lot of folks did some traveling, but me personally, I just stayed here and got connected with so many different communities around Vancouver. I especially enjoyed there was one day where I, on an impulse, just went to the Vancouver Art Gallery and the Yoko Ono exhibit was absolutely amazing for me. I don't want to spoil it too much, but there was a lot of encouragement for participation from the audience to help create the art that was being displayed in the gallery. And I thought that was a really powerful statement to talk about, especially considering I do so much equity and inclusion work. Uh, And I really believe that it's up to us to participate in all of these things and to put ourselves out there when we really want to build and make change in the world. Uh, The other amazing exhibit that was there was uh, Jan Wade's Soul Power. And this was the first solo exhibit by a black female artist in the 90 year history of the art gallery. And it was a really powerful thing to see uh, a woman, a black woman from Canada kind of talk about her heritage as a black woman through her experiences. And the entire gallery and all of her art is created with found uh, pieces of you know, items and objects just picked up from alleyways and scrounged and it, you know, bringing all these elements for sustainability and reusing the things that we have around us and rather than creating uh, more and consuming more, but using what we already have and using that to reflect our own experiences and our histories and our stories. Anyway, go check out the art gallery if you haven't already. Uh, It's such a fun place to be and somewhere you can really learn a lot about, especially considering that this week's episode is a little bit about Black History Month. And we are coming to the close of it. Uh, It is already kind of wrapping up. But I'm a big believer in the fact that Black History Month is not February. Black History Month should be the entire year because Black history, trans history, you know, all types of history... These are all the histories that are a part of what makes Canada and really the whole world. And so we, I really want to start thinking about, you know, things beyond just, you know, it's February, let's do black history things. And as much as that's kind of what I'm doing right now, uh, I would certainly encourage people to really look more into it at any time of the year. There's, there's no time to not learn things, right? Anyway, as for today's episode, uh, I've got a really amazing interview with Chichi Achebe, who is a student here at Sauter. They are second year and they're going into global supply chain, which is really awesome. They haven't been through it yet, but even getting into that program and hearing her experiences about it all was just super insightful. Lots of learning, lots of uh, really amazing experiences that she had that I really love listening to. So I know you will love listening to it as well. After that, I'm going to talk a little bit about allyship, what it is and how we and ourselves can be allies for different marginalized groups, whether that be people of color, indigenous folks, black folks, trans, queer people. When we talk about wanting to create equity and inclusion and create systems that allow people to really be themselves, it all comes down to, well, it comes down to a lot of things, but allyship is a huge way that we are a part of that. And if we can be allies in the correct way, a lot of change is able to come through us uh, for the people around us. And so with that exciting list of topics, let's just get into our first segment, which is a little bit of CUS news. It's going to be super brief because there's really not a lot of stuff as we wrap up the end of the term, but I will see you in just a sec to talk about it. 
Also, jokes, I just realized that I did not introduce myself at any point in this intro. My name is Kai, pronouns are she, her, or they, them, and if this is your first time here, well, super excited to have you and hope you stick around for the whole thing. Now we can go to the next segment. As I said, we're a little sparse on news this week, this month. It's We're kind of wrapping up and not a whole lot of stuff happens towards the end of the year for CUS and things, but important things that are happening are hiring. Actually, I think there's a hiring post right now for, for equity advisors. So if you want to throw your hat in there, like, please go for it. I don't know if I'm going to continue myself. I'm still kind of waiting to see how I feel. Uh, and how my next year is going to look, but I might throw in an application just to keep it going one more year, which is the last year I'll be here. Uh, other than that, some other couple of awesome things going on kind of outside of, well, first within Solder, we've got grad night coming up. So that's really exciting. I know CUS Sustainability is doing some cool uh, like case competition type things. There is a Young Women in Business uh, International Women's Day Gala happening on March 9th. So just a whole lot of amazing events and initiatives going out. There is also one thing that I really do want to get out there is that there is a student engagement community pulse survey that the CUS is running with all the students or as many students as they can uh, within Solder to just get a sense of what are people feeling about their experience here. And so that is something that I really encourage as many people to fill out as you can. Having your voice heard in these community surveys. I know it can be tedious and can be a little bit like, you know, five minutes out of your time and you got to take it and you got to sit down and do it. But really, when we talk about things that we want to change and we can complain about stuff all day, but these are the opportunities that you have to really get your voice heard. So do it. Other things, uh, one thing that I'm going to, you know, go back to plugging my own stuff and CUS Equity and Inclusion. We have an amazing, amazing conference, workshop, leadership thing coming up on March 20th. And we're going to start the marketing for that next week. But it is going to be an external consultant coming in. And it's like a seven hour long workshop on how to develop the skills to be an inclusive leader. And I know that sounds really intense, like seven hours. That's crazy. It's a whole Sunday that you're just going to give up. But first thing is that this workshop literally costs like $10,000. We managed to get funding from a whole lot of places. And so this is like a professional quality workshop that they would be giving to executives and people really high up in their business careers. So you are able to get this workshop for basically $10 is a complete steal that, that we're able to offer you. And not only that, but equity and inclusion competencies are something that I've realized are so rapidly growing in the workplace where so many organizations that I've been working with and that I've talked to, that is their biggest problem is that there's just not enough people out there that know how to do inclusive inclusion work. Right. And so knowing these things are going to give you such, I don't want to frame everything. Like it's going to give you an edge in the job market, but really, really it is. And more than that, I think it's going to give you an edge in just the way you're able to perceive and appreciate different perspectives and understand who you are and the perspective that you bring to the world. So we're going to keep going that, uh, look out for all the marketing that's going to come out in the next week. And I hope to see as many of you there as possible. We do have limited tickets. So, as much as we can, we're going to try to squeeze people in, but otherwise it's just, uh, you know, 
whoever wants to take it is going to take it and it's going to be a great experience either way and there you go there's your prerequisite of the first eight minutes of just me talking to you about random stuff let's get into something a little more interesting let's talk to someone else a little more interesting and let's get into our coffee chat for the day see you in just a second Hello, hello, and welcome back, everybody. Today, I am joined with an extraordinary second year here at the Sauter School of Business. Uh, please, would you like to introduce yourself, your your names, your pronouns, and your uh, incoming specialization? Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Chiamaka Echebet. Everyone calls me Chi-Chi. I'm currently a second year student, and I intend on specializing in global logistics and supply chain management. And my pronouns are she, her, hers. Awesome. Well, we will get into that a little bit because you're the first global supply chain person that I've had on the show. And it's a really, really cool program that I'm excited to talk about. Uh, but before that, I'd love to know something about you that is kind of unrelated to work, like that can give us a sense of the, the you behind just the what you do at school and what you do, you know, out in the professional world. Okay, um, so one thing my friends all know me for is I'm really big on like self care and I like to do that in the form of like uh, beauty and anything like just self care in general so I'm really into makeup. Um, pandemic has kind of slowed me down when it comes to that, but I love doing my face doing other people's faces kind of like transformative process and lately i've gotten into collecting perfumes i'm really discovering scents and all that world it's like a huge rabbit hole to go down but i'm excited oh i know I, I i hit the perfume world like a couple months ago and it's it's dangerous it's very and dangerous and expensive so i, I have to kind of like pump the brakes but yeah <laughs> and, and and we're only showing audio i wish you could see the the video on zoom because you look amazing today like i just <laughs> rolled out of bed my hair is all wet but no you're you're put together definitely can see the self-care uh <laughs> all right let's let's get into it a little uh Let's get to global supply chain. I'd love to know, you know, what interested you about that? Because it is a small program. It's one that you have to apply for and, and you really go all over the world to, to learn this stuff. So, yeah, what interested you about that and what are you looking forward to? Um, so I would say coming into solder, I really always thought that I was going to specialize in marketing. And year two is kind of like the year where you get to try different courses and figure out like what you're most interested in. So I took that intro to marketing class and I did enjoy it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I did. Um, whereas like Oplog, when I took that course, it kind of came naturally to me. And since I didn't have any like super strong commitment to any particular specialization, I kind of thought, okay, let me do something that I kind of have the natural inclination for it, which would also allow me to have a lot of fun too. So I think the global supply chain um, option uh, would present that opportunity for me just because I'd get to travel. It's like a huge once in a lifetime opportunity and get to make connections with people all over the world. And, you know, my background as an immigrant, the world in general, like going other places has never really scared me. I love to push myself out of my comfort zone. So I thought, okay, this is definitely an opportunity for me to push myself. No, that's awesome. Uh, and, and we were talking a little bit before this, and you told me that you yourself, uh, though you were, you've been in Canada for a really long time, your, your parents 
sort of immigrated from, from Nigeria. And I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, how you ended up at Vancouver, because you were at Calgary before, uh, and just that perspective you bring coming from an immigrant family and how you sort of see the, the experiences you've been in at Sauter. Yeah, so my family immigrated to Canada when I was less than two years old. And uh, we stayed in Alberta, mostly Calgary for since I've been here. Um, and having an immigrant background, it's kind of interesting because at school, the culture is so Canadian and then I come home and it's like super Nigerian. So it kind of my whole childhood leading up to university was me trying to balance my identity as Canadian and also try to preserve my identity as a Nigerian. Um, and I think that made me a lot more sensitive to different cultural culture, cultures in general, um, because I understand that what's okay in one culture might not be the same for others. So it's like made me a better listener, um, just trying to take things in and understand how different people operate and why they hold different beliefs. Um, and uh, I guess the reason why I chose Vancouver, it was number one, it was the only business school I applied to. So it was kind of like a, I was, <laughs> when it came to choosing the schools, I was like, okay, well, this is a program that I'm most interested in. So that was a big reason. Um, and I thought the city would just be a big change from what I'm used to. One, the weather is very different from Calgary's weather. Um, and two, just like the social climate I thought it'd be mm -hmm. interesting to be in a place um that's kind of politically different from Calgary or um yeah. perceived differences because being in Vancouver has showed me that you know there's a lot more similarities than I thought and yeah it's just li living in different places is just something that's always interested me so I really wanted to you know leave Alberta because I've been here my whole life so yeah Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, glad you're here. I'm also relatively new to the city and it's it's fun to explore like this totally new place. Yeah. Uh, all right. So within Sauter, one thing that I, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, especially because this month and this episode a little bit, I've been we've been working a lot with uh, Black History Month in Canada in February. Uh, and Sauter as a school has a really very small Black student population. Uh, and I imagine it's going to be even smaller within something like like global supply chain, where it's very selective. Uh, and I wanted to hear maybe kind of your experiences on that. And was that something that you considered making the decision that you did and how that kind of plays into the way you think about what you're doing here? Okay, um, so I guess I'll start with like, again, my choosing university and kind of how I chose. So most of the research I did was based on like the actual university's website. So obviously when you go on UBC's website, there's a lot of buzzwords like diversity, inclusion, equity, and those types of things. So I didn't really do any further research. I just kind of took those words for face value. So it was kind of a shock to me. I will be honest, when I came to the school and I, I just didn't really see that many other black students. Um, and it can be a little bit discouraging, but um, I try to, not let it bring me down. And that's kind of why I applied for global supply chain in a way. Um, I, I just know that I might not be around other Black students, but it's important for other people to see that, yes, a Black student can be in this program. Like there's no such thing as this specialization is for Black students and this one isn't. Um, I'll go wherever I want to go, basically. And that's just the attitude that I, I've adopted. And I feel like that's just 
what I've had to do to uh, survive. Um, when it came to the program, it was something that I discussed with my friends. I was like, okay, well, if I go to this program, will I be able to, I'm, I'm like, am I going to stick out like a sore thumb? Is it going to be really awkward for me? Like, how's it going to be moving internationally where I'm maybe going to places where people aren't as racially sensitive as they are here? Um, so I will say it's something that I have considered, but I've basically said, you know, I'm willing to risk it and see what comes of the experience and I'm not going to let my race stop me from doing something that I'm genuinely interested in and I'm prepared for the worst in a way as sad as it sounds I know that people just people are crazy people are weird so things might not always go to plan but as long as I'm doing what I want to do then that's just that's the that's all I can do so yeah and I think that's amazing this idea of not letting fear stop you from doing what you want to do right because that's what you yeah. want to do and yeah. yes there's like we, we always have to kind of be prepared for the reality of the world but you know mm -hmm. we, we're still gonna do it yeah <laughs> that's awesome thank you yeah. so so much for for sharing uh now kind of stepping aside from you know the specialization and solder i'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the other work you're involved in because you do a lot of amazing stuff the i, I was looking through and you actually do a little bit of work at world vision uh, and with amnesty ubc and so i'd like to know what pushed you into exploring more nonprofit and socially focused work um so i would say my interest for because both of the clubs have like a very global focus like helping people doing humanitarian work across the world and I would say that interest kind of started when I was in high school um, I used to do model United Nations and it just really exposed me to a lot of the injustices that happen around the world so when I was looking for clubs to join um, this year I knew that I wanted to do something that was kind of had that international focus still so both of those clubs like afforded me that opportunity um, at World Vision, I work in their marketing department. And then at Amnesty, I am a membership coordinator. So they're both like very different roles. Um, but I just, I enjoy being able to take a break from, you know, business and being in solder and just having like genuine interactions with people from different faculties. Because um, as solder students, you know, we have so many classes like physically in that building. So we spend so much time there. So sometimes it can be a little bit isolating. So I enjoy those clubs for that. And then I also really love the work that they're doing to help people around the world and raise awareness for really important issues. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. The next thing that i wanted to ask you a little bit about is in addition to all of this uh before was it before you came to ubc you had your own small company you were producing and selling masks is that right and selling them internationally yeah. uh, how yeah. did you get into that and what sparked the what was the entrepreneurial spark that you had to, to get that started okay so the story's kind of funny because i was kind of thrown into that whole business um it was I think April, 2020, we had been in the house for a couple of weeks then, cause it was just the beginning of the first lockdown. And, you know, they're starting, information was starting to come out about how important it was to, you know, mask up. Then they didn't really have cloth masks available. All the non-surgical masks were completely sold out. So my mom 
she approached me and she was like, okay, like we need to make masks for this family. Um, and I had like prior sewing skills because that was something I used to do when I was younger. And um, in our culture as Nigerians, uh, specifically Igbo people, a lot of the times we gift uh, this cloth called Ankara, which is like an African print material. Whenever you see like the bright African clothing, that's what Ankara is. So we have a whole bunch in our house. My mom was like, okay, make masks for the family. So I went on YouTube, I went online, figured out the pattern, figured how to sew it. My mom's just generally like a really crafty person. So we had all the materials, the elastic and stuff like that. So I made them for my family and I thought, okay, my job's done. And my mom's like, okay, you should post them online. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I really don't want to do this. I can't be bothered. Um, so I, I went ahead and just did it anyways because she kept pestering me about it. So I posted it on Etsy. Um, and within one day, like I had already gotten an order and I was like, oh, okay, strange. And then the orders just kept coming in and kept coming in and kept coming in. And I'd say from like April of 2020 to around August, I was super, super busy. It's getting sometimes like 30 orders a week um, and we're shipping all over the world. I, it was like a full-time job. Um, and I think it was, it was really awesome because I'm such a, I'm always moving. I always like to do things and the pandemic really stopped me in my tracks. I had to sit at home. So it kind of gave me purpose again. Um, waking up and having a task to complete um, and I'm really thankful for it because you know not only do I have a really interesting story to tell people um, I was able to help a whole bunch of people across the world when they really needed that help with the mask so it's one of my most proud accomplishments and the I I love the start of that story talking about can you what's the, the name of the cloth was Ankara Ankara yeah like A-N-K-A-R-A I love how you talked about Ankara as a cloth that you give like as a gift to people and then almost mm -hmm. in this time of the pandemic like having this gift of the cloth mask like yeah. out to the world that's amazing it's really beautiful yeah it, it really <laughs> is uh well let's let's sort of start to wrap up a little bit uh because yeah. firstly everything that you've said so far today has been amazing and I'm loving so much getting to learn from you and, and hear more about your experiences uh, the last thing that I'd like to ask you today is just a little bit more about your experiences at Solder. So the pandemic definitely was it was an interesting experience because we spent a little bit online and now we're in kind of in person and kind of like in this weird limbo zone. Yeah. Uh, but I'd love to ask you, you know, how has the school here been for you so far? And, you know, how do you hope that this school might look in the future? Um, I would say the school has been really great to me so far, um, especially during the pandemic. Like, I feel like they really put in the effort to try to help us as much as possible and make it feel as normal and real as they could, given the circumstances. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, since we moved in person, like, Solder itself, it's such a beautiful building. Like, the facilities are amazing. Um, a lot of professors are really great, too. So I'm grateful for that. Um, in terms of changes that I'd like to see, obviously, you know, like more diversity, um, having more black students, um, that's really important because being able to relate to people on that level is something that not a lot of people have the opportunity to do in solder. So that's a big hope of mine in the future. Um, and yeah, I guess there's a lot of great things about this school and it's just you know, little tiny things that I would love to see change. But overall, I think it's a really amazing place to go. And I'm, I'm glad I chose to come here.
Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all your wonderful experiences and uh, really sharing the space with me for, for Black History Month and just in general, because I had a, it was a joy listening to you and learning from you and definitely looking forward to seeing you when reading break is over. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me on here. Absolutely. All right. And uh, with that, we're going to head off into our last segment. Thank you very much. And we will see you soon. Now, we are getting close to 30 minutes, but I really want to talk a little bit about being an ally and what it means to be an ally when we talk about furthering equity and inclusion work. Because if we are not part of the community that is fighting for equity, fighting for inclusion, our role is to be an ally. And being an ally is something that takes work. For example, we can talk about performative allyship versus actual allyship when it comes to activism and equity and inclusion work. Performative allyship is when things are said that are pro-equity and inclusion, but the underlying systems that really work to include different peoples aren't really changed. And we see this a lot in sort of corporate messaging around Black Lives Matters, around Pride Month, when all of the LinkedIn it, the LinkedIn logos will all put the Black Lives Matter sign or they'll all put the pride flag and they'll say like we are an organization that really promotes equity and inclusion. We are an organization that respects diversity. But when you take a look at what are they doing in the organization to actually change the way they operate? How are they really changing the systems to create hiring practices that are less biased? How are they creating systems that are enable mentorship for queer or trans people so that they can feel more included in the space? Are they providing opportunities for women to be paid and treated equally? And these are the things that need to be done if we want to move beyond this performative model of allyship where we talk about wanting to do things, but when it comes down to actually doing it, there really isn't a lot there. And unfortunately, being an ally is a tough job. It requires you to really go out and spend a lot of time doing your learning, putting yourself in situations that might make you feel uncomfortable, challenging yourself on certain biases that you might have, because a lot of us want to think, you know, I'm not a racist person, I'm not a sexist person, I'm not a homophobic or a transphobic person. But when it comes down to it, we all have ingrained biases that have been built into us through the society that we've lived in, whether we like it or not. And it takes a while to really reflect on those things and understand, you know, what are the actions that I take that, though unintentional, still deprioritize marginalized communities? Here's an example of a story for what I mean by that. Now, I don't want to claim that this story is true, 100% factual, because it's been a number of years since I was in contact with the people that were as part of this project, and it is a little bit of hearsay, but it does show a good example of what I mean by performative allyship, because there's a pride installation on UBC campus over by the nest. If you've walked by it, you've seen it. There is the BIPOC colors, plus the trans flag, plus the uh, pride flag, all painted very lovely onto the stairwell. And I remember seeing that for the first time and being like, wow, this is amazing. You know, there's such an inclusive atmosphere here. But I found out that one of the consultations that had happened with, uh, you know, the Pride Society at UBC, the only real priority that they had for the mural was 
make sure that it is being painted by a queer artist, right? Because in general, queer folk in, are marginalized and that there's a lot less sort of economic opportunity and there's a lot more challenges in those people reaching economic opportunity. And so the important thing is that this work, this money that was going to be put forward to represent the queer community was going back to that community. And so that community was getting that uh, sort of economy, internal economy going. And that was the one sort of request that wasn't followed in the making of the mural. And so this kind of gives this assessment where you're thinking, we want to put this inclusive mural out there. We want to show that we're being really inclusive and that we're welcoming of these people, but our actions at the end of the day are only at the surface level. The, the real outcomes of that does not go towards benefiting uh, any particular individuals within that community. And it comes through in a lot of other ways, like for example, that oftentimes black uh, people of color, indigenous peoples are, are so often tasked with voicing their own concerns and standing up for themselves, which is definitely very important. But what I find a lot of time is that individuals feel like, you know, I'm not part of this community. I'm not black. I'm not a person of color. I'm not trans. And therefore, I don't want to speak for them, right? I don't want to speak on their behalf. I'm going to let them do their thing. I'm going to support them, uh, but I'm going to support kind of from a distance. And the, the problem with that is it can be very emotionally and psychologically taxing to not only have to do the work that you're, you know, tasked with, whether you're a marketing student or just like a person in the field doing your work, but then on top of that, you have to do this additional labor of advocating for all the ways that things are unjust for yourself, right? And so I'm not a black student, obviously, and I'm not indigenous, but I really try in all of my work to make sure that I'm getting those stories out there. And there's a difference here where I don't speak for their experiences. I don't try to assume that I know what it's like to be a black person. I don't assume that I know what it's like to be an indigenous person, but I do recognize that these are people, that they have stories and that the world is unjust in a unique way for each of them. And so understanding this, we can talk about what does it mean to actually be a good ally towards marginalized folks? And I think, well, there's a whole number of things, and I encourage you to do your own resources, but I will sort of give three ideas that I think are very practical and useful when thinking about allyship for yourself. Uh, and the first one is just being willing to do your own learning. There is so much information out there. You just Google, I want to be an ally for anti-racism. I want to be an ally for anti-transphobia or anti-homophobia. You will get so many resources. Maybe read a book or two. How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi is an amazing resource for people who really want to delve into this topic. And there's so many resources like that out there that it's up to you to go and find them. And I say it's up to you because if we rely on, you know, black students or trans students or queer students to always do the educating, that's the extra labor that we're placing upon them. And so taking the time and the resources that you might have in excess to do that work is so, so powerful. A second thing when we're thinking about allyship is this concept of supportive behavior. What supportive behavior looks like in an organization is being a person that someone can come to you looking for support and receive support. And when I mean support, I don't mean advice, right? It's really important that when, say, a black student or an indigenous student or a trans student comes up to you, you know, and says, hey, 
I'm having a really frustrating experience today. For myself, I might say, you know, someone misgendered me today. For some of my black friends, they'll come to me and say, oh, I can't believe someone was trying to like ask if they could touch my hair. You know, I'm not this animal. I'm not, it's not a zoo, right? I'm, I'm a real person. It's just my hair, right? And these kinds of comments, they seem small and they seem innocuous, but they really do dig in over time and they can become really frustrating to deal with. And so being a supportive behavior is not being someone that can give advice and say, you know, don't take it to heart. Don't, you know, people are not, they don't mean anything, right? Because you're almost becoming dismissive of the, the feelings that they have. Rather, being a, a true supporter and a true ally is recognizing that you really don't understand the experience, but you don't need to understand the experience to provide your support. You can say, you know, that really sucks. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. Let me know if there's anything that I can do for you. Maybe next time if I'm around and that happens, would it be okay if I helped correct their pronoun usage for you? Uh, is there anything that I can step in and help as like a bystander in these types of situations? What could I do best to support you? And that really there is the ticket of supportive behavior is always making sure and asking, what can I do to support you? Not assuming that we have the answer or that we know what someone is going through because everyone really does have a unique experience and the way that people want to be supported is going to be very different depending on who they are. The last thing is advocacy behavior. So we talked a little bit about doing your own research. We talked a little bit about supportive behavior. The last thing is being an advocate and being an advocate means willingness to put yourself in uncomfortable situations or put yourself on the line to advocate for things that you believe in. For example, it might be a tense climate in the workplace where there might be people that don't fully agree with inclusion efforts. There might be people that don't think that there should be so much emphasis on equity and inclusion or doing things like this. And it might be difficult to say and stand up for what you think is right because you don't know the costs of it. You don't know if this is going to impact you, if it's going to maybe affect your career. But it's important to realize that as an ally, say if you are a white cisgender person, you have so much more leverage in the situation that if you advocate and you say, hey, this really is something that we need to start doing. This is something that we should start considering. This is something that we need to promote. We should have these initiatives. I really want to have more uh, equity and inclusion initiatives. I would really love to hear more opportunities to learn and hear from black and indigenous and queer students. All of these types of behaviors that you can advocate for and saying, I want these things, even though I'm not black, I'm not queer, I'm not trans, I'm not indigenous. Those are the ways that you can advocate because if we allow these advocacy behaviors to fall on the responsibility of the marginalized students, not only, are, again, are they doing the external emotional labor of having to educate and having to fight for themselves all the time, but it also just through research, we know that the outcomes of these things often don't go as well because there's a natural bias for people to not take these things as seriously when it's coming from those groups. For example, as a trans person, I have definitely found in my experience having to advocate for my views and advocate for, for inclusion. Uh, it, it can be difficult, at, especially difficult when I first started, because it was like this assumption that, okay, this is the, you know, the one trans person, like it doesn't really affect us, like we'll just let them kind of do whatever. And it took a long time for me to build my confidence to really put 
put my foot down and say, no, like we have to make a change. This is not just for me. It's it's better for everyone. This is what equity and inclusion is, is it's leveling the playing field so that we can all thrive at a higher level, right? And so having someone on the outside who's willing to put their self almost in the line of fire and say, no, no, we need to start pushing for these things as well. That really starts to get the ball rolling. And if you can get momentum in an organization where you build like a coalition of similar like-minded folks that really believe in equity and inclusion work, and then advocating like, yes, let's do these things. Let's get this uh, projects rolling. And that is the momentum and the initiative that you need to really have for equity and inclusion to take off within an organization. One big wrap up as I wrap all of these things with the doing your own research and having supportive behavior and advocacy behavior is the central theme through all of this in being an ally is that you are an ally. This is not your fight. This You are not at the center of this and there's a lot of hesitancy and tendency for people who want to be allies, who want to be good people to put themselves out there and to, to kind of make themselves the main character in that story for themselves, right? Because they want to feel they're passionate about justice, they're passionate about equity and inclusion. But there's a recognition that needs to happen that the voice that needs to be speaking at the end of the day is not your voice. At the end of the day, the voice that needs to be speaking is the voice of the people who are within those communities because they are the ones that understand their experience. As an ally, your job is there to support them to have their voice heard, which is why platforms like See Us Podcasts were a thing that I created because I didn't want to come out here and speak on the behalf of people. I wanted to give the students a platform for them to share their own experiences where I could simply be a facilitator of that conversation. And that is what it means to be an ally, is to be the facilitator of the fight that marginalized communities worldwide are pushing for themselves and with that we are going a fair amount over time because i started rambling because i'm quite passionate about this i don't know if you've realized but this is kind of my whole my whole deal <laughs> anyway let's wrap up it was so amazing to get to speak with everyone today i really love this opportunity to just have these thoughts and, and share with everyone and i would love to hear your thoughts and your perspectives and please do continue to read and learn more about black history month about you know various different marginalized communities throughout the year even if it's not february anymore it's not about february or march or whenever the month is it's about building this awareness and consciousness that there are things in the world that need to change for justice and we're going to start to change them with that I'm actually done now. And so I will see you next month. Bye-bye.